All right, take your Bibles today and make your way to Mark chapter 9. I started this, I knew there was no way I was going to get through 20 verses uh, last week. There's just so much in them. And I'm really, I, I think I'm going to get through the end of this chapter today. Um, but it will be a, it'll be a little bit of a feat for me, but I'm going to, I've got it all mapped out here. We'll see how it proceeds. But there's a lot in here. I titled the, the series here in this back half, uh, Pitfalls on the Path of Discipleship. I maybe should have called it Pitfalls on the Path to Greatness because that's what the disciples were apparently interested in. And Jesus did not want to change that. He wanted them to want to be great. But he needed to redefine greatness, didn't he? Um, and so we started to walk through that a little bit last week. And it's interesting um, the idea last week is that the first, the first issue, if you will, with uh, uh, the first pothole on the road to greatness is, is that of division. Talked about that last week, division. And they were divided, the disciples, weren't they? They were divided about who was going to be the greatest when Jesus rules the world and sets up his kingdom. There was so much that they did not understand. And what was Jesus' solution? How do you fill that pothole of division? Of wanting to be the best? Serving. Yeah, you want to be great? Super. You want to be first? Be last. And be the greatest servant. You, you work hard at serving everybody else. Jesus is the one who actually coined this idea of servant leadership. Servant leadership. So the first fill in there in your outline is, is from last week, I think, and that is deliverance, uh, excuse me, uh, um, division, and division is taken care of by serving. So today, I want to get to the other two, and you can see them on the board there. Um, the next one is um, exclusion, and then the last one is corruption. Um, we're going to deal with those in, in, in each part. So so now, as I said last week, right on the heels of Jesus picking up this child and using this little child, probably Peter's, one of Peter's children, because he was in Peter's house, and saying, look, um, you've you got to receive this child in my name, and when you do, you don't just get me, you get the one who sent me. Right? In other words, you serve those who can do nothing for you. And when you do that, when you serve in hiddenness, when you go after the people that nobody wants, you get, you get not only me, but you get my Father in heaven. Gave him a, a, a real powerful object lesson. But today, don't break this up. This is all the same conversation. They're in Peter's house, and who's there? Who is Jesus talking to? It's a very tight crowd. Just the twelve. There are no multitudes here. This is Jesus' in-depth, inside training, discipleship, if you will, of his guys. Don't miss that. That becomes really important because it's going to flavor, especially this last part. Um, I have both preached this in my very, very younger years and heard this last, last section preached very inappropriately in relation to its context. And I'm not going to, I'm going to try to do a better job today. Amen. All right. So let's look at this. So John, Jesus, right on the heels of, of Jesus saying, hey, you've got to be the servant of all. 
and you accept these children in my name, you get me and you get the one who sent me. John, it's like John, we know John's the kid. He's the youngest one there. That's why in the, um, have you ever seen the picture of the Last Supper? Which is highly inappropriate culturally. They're all sitting at this nice table. Those high tables didn't come for a long time later. Uh, they would have been uh, lounging on the floor on pillows, which I've never done that. But they say that's a very comfortable, relaxing way to eat. I can't, I can't imagine, all right, Tom's shaking, I can't imagine it either, but they say that's the way to go, I don't know. I might have to try that one day. <laughs> um, but they were lounging, they were laying down. We see those pictures of the Last Supper, John doesn't even have a beard. And that is culturally accurate. He was very young, he was just a teenager. You know, probably 16, maybe 17 years old. He was quite young. And we also know he was, he was kind of the favorite of Jesus in some sense. We could see that. Uh, he calls himself the disciple whom Jesus loved. Because Jesus, Jesus loved this, this teenage guy. He just really did. We see it at the Last Supper. When the rest of the disciples want to know who's going to sell Jesus out, they motion to John say, you ask him. Because John, had, John was leaning, had his head resting on Jesus' chest because he, he was close to him. So... Here's John's big offering, verse 42. But I'm sorry, um, verse 38. Right after Jesus has this whole message on serving and humility. Now John answered him saying, Teacher, we saw someone who does not follow us casting out demons in your name, and we forbade him because he does not follow us. <coughs> right? And I know last week I, I read that to you. I thought, look, these guys just don't get it. But I was challenged this week in my study, and I don't know if I agree with it, but I want to throw it out there and let you chew on. Could it be that John wasn't being incredibly clueless here? Maybe John was confessing. Maybe he was saying, ooh, I think we blew it. Let me tell you what we did. I don't know. I don't know the attitude. We, we, we don't have that here. Maybe he's saying, ooh, you know what, this whole humility and serving... We totally blew that because we, we came around, we, we found this guy who was casting out demons in your name and we told him not to because he wasn't following us. He wasn't in the in crowd. I don't know if this was a confession or uh, of saying, boy, I think we just blew it. Or it was John saying, hey, look what we did. You'll be so proud of us. We had someone that was using your name and they weren't, they weren't in the in group and we told them to knock it off. Cut that ministry. I don't know which it is, but here's what we do know. We do know that it is, right? We do know this is what John said. But he's offering this up to Jesus. Um, so lesson, pitfall number two is the pothole of exclusion. Exclusion, we're excluding those people who aren't in our, in our camp or in our group. So how do we combat or fill this pothole of exclusion? How do we, how do we get rid of this partisan spirit that it's us for and no more. Well, I think we do it this way. I think this is in your outline and it should be on the screen in a second. Realize that the kingdom of God is all about Jesus' name and not our name. Amen? What does John say there in that verse? He says, we saw someone who does not follow who? Us. Casting out demons in your name. And we forbade him because he does not follow us. 
But he was using Jesus' name. And he was using it in such a way that it was, don't miss this, it was effective. It says he was casting out demons in your name, indicating that they were being expelled because of the name of Jesus. And it, I don't believe, I think I can make a, a biblical case here, that this whoever this person was, was not using Jesus' name as a magic incantation, because we have an example of that. Later on in Acts, just jot it down in, in your notes, Acts 19, verses 13 through 17. <coughs> what you have to understand in the first century, there were demon possession. Demons were possessing people everywhere. This was super common to run into demon-possessed people. As a result, exorcisms were a regular event. And those who supposedly cast out demons called on the deity, the God that they believed in, in order to effectuate the cleansing and the freeing of a demon-possessed person. The, the, the Pharisees did this often, as did the priests. This was a regular ministry. Some of it was done appropriately, some of it was not. Whoever this guy was, he was using the name of Jesus, and, and it appears he must have been using it properly and in faith, because the guy in Acts 19 tried it, and, and, and uh, the demon said, hey, we know Paul, and we know Jesus, but we don't know you. And if you read the rest of it, they, they, the demon threw that person and beat the fire out of these guys, and stripped them naked and beat them half to death, and they went running out of the house all bloodied and beaten. So this, whoever this guy was, he was on their team. They just didn't know about him. But the disciples had this exclusive, partisan, political spirit about them. And they said, hey, we told them to knock it off because they weren't following us. Indicating that Jesus would be proud of them for stopping this guy because he wasn't following them. And Jesus had a lot to teach these guys. He said, fellas, the kingdom is not about your name. It's about mine. And he's going to tell them that. So look at, look at, the, look at the next verse here. Look at Jesus' response. I think he's still holding this kid. I know he is because of what's coming in a minute. He's still got this squirming kid in his arms. And Jesus says, and there's, there's a bit of a, a force here as Jesus responds. Do not forbid him, Jesus says. For no one who works a miracle in my name can soon afterwards speak evil of me. 40. For he who is not against us is on our side. 41. And now he's going to give an example. For whoever gives you a cup of water to drink in my name, because you belong to Christ, to the Messiah, assuredly, I say to you, he will by no means lose his reward. So look at what Jesus is unpacking here. He said they were not okay with someone doing what they could not. What just happened at the base of that Mount of Transfiguration? You remember a few weeks ago? Jesus comes down with the three, and then the other nine are arguing. Why? Because they, they, the, the guy brings his kid, and they couldn't cast out the They couldn't do it. They couldn't cast out the demon, even using the name of Jesus. Yet this guy did. Not the same kid. But I think, was there a little bit of jealousy here maybe with those disciples? This guy was able to do something that they weren't able to do. And he wasn't part of the in crowd. 
What does Jesus tell them? Don't prevent ministry that's done in my name. Those serving in my name are not your foes, they are your friends. And I think what Jesus is saying to them is, look guys, you don't have the team roster, I do. You don't even know who us is. <laughs> and he, he would tell them later, I got, he said, I got a whole bunch of people that are going to be coming into the kingdom and you don't even know who they are yet. And he was referring to people like us, Gentiles, and, and they were not ready for that. It would take the Holy Spirit for them to get ready for that big big uh, shift in gear. But Jesus, I got the roster. You don't. You don't even know who us is. And some of you aren't us. Ooh, did you hear that? At least one for sure. Judas. And, and okay, so I'm just going to tell you, I, I don't know the answer to this, but I'm reading this thing and, and what's following, what's going to come up here in a second. And this is just me wondering. I'm really wondering at this point how many of these guys are truly born again yet? I, I, I don't know. Because the warning that Jesus gives them is about eternity in hell. And he's talking to his 12. And what we know for sure is only one of them ended up there. But how many of them were on the way there at this point in Jesus' teaching? I don't know. And Jesus also said to them at the end, whoever serves my servants serves me. And I see it all and I'm taking notes. Jesus says, hey, you don't know that guy, but if he gives you as much as a cup of cold water and he does it in my name, I see that and I'm going to reward him. Whoever serves my servants is serving me. And I see it all. Hey, by the way, isn't that a great comfort to us today? I, I gave you some homework this week. I said, go serve. And serve in hiddenness as much as you can. And you can't talk about it, because if you do, you're not serving the hiddenness anymore. Uh, however, I think I talked with memory about that this week, and we had a good laugh. Uh, uh, but serving, and serving as much as you can without anybody knowing. Being okay with being treated like a servant. Right? Here's the thing. Whatever you did do this week, if you did your homework, and did it well, God saw that. And God rewards everything that we do in His name. We don't need to credit. We're going to get the reward later. Isn't that, isn't that, I don't know. That makes me happy to hear that today. So the solution to exclusion is don't stop ministry that's done in Jesus' name. Now, does that mean that we don't draw a hard line in the sand when it comes to the gospel? No. I mean, the book of Revelation, in the early part, talking to the churches, he said, hey, the deeds of the Nicolaitans, those people teaching that false stuff, you hate them, you hate their deeds, and so do I, right? It doesn't mean that we're, we're foolish and ignorant. It doesn't mean that everybody that uh, has church on their name is preaching the truth. That's not what Jesus is saying here. This guy was doing a deed in the name of Jesus, and it was effective, and it was all within the bounds of what Jesus had been teaching, so this is not saying, well, all I got to do, well, you know, we're all good. No, that's not, that's not what Jesus is teaching. He's dealing with a pride issue in these disciples, and he's having to unpack that for them. Does that make sense? Let's look at this next one, uh, this last pothole, and it's a pothole of corruption. This is a pretty big one, and this one's tough. I mean, this, this goes down sideways. I'm not going to lie to you. Let me just read it. You with me in verse 42? Oh, by the way, please don't forget here, 
This is the same conversation. He's just finished saying, hey, whoever gives you all a cup of water in my name, I see it, and they're not without the reward. But, now that word but is a contrast. He's contrasting this here. But, whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to stumble, it'd be better for him if a millstone were hung around his neck and he were thrown into the sea. If your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. It's better for you to enter into life maimed rather than having two hands to go to hell into the fire that shall not be quenched. Where the worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. Verse 45, and if your foot causes you to sin, cut it off. It's better for you to enter into life maimed or lame rather than having two feet to cast into hell into the fire that shall never be quenched where their worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. Verse 47, and if your eye causes you to sin, pluck it out. It's better for you to enter into the kingdom with one eye rather than having two eyes to be cast into hell where their worm does not die, fire is not quenched. For everyone will be seasoned with fire and every sacrifice will be seasoned with salt. Salt is good. But if the salt loses its flavor, how will you season it? Have salt in yourselves and have peace with one another. This is really quite a passage, isn't it? A lot of debate, a lot of confusion. Here's, the, here's where the debate and confusion starts. We forget the context. Who's he talking to? Just the 12. This is private training for the 12. And do you think he's saying that, I'm going to teach you this so you can tuck it away and teach it to other people later? He, no. He's talking to them. He's challenging his own guys, saying, hey, you, you better start, you better take a good look at yourself. Y'all with me on that? This context is vital to the proper interpretation of this passage. He says, but whoever, and he says, including you 12, whoever causes is the, is the primary cause of one of these little ones who believe in me to stumble. <coughs> now, here's a reality. Jesus is still holding this little kid, right? He's still holding this child in his arms. And he said, whichever one of you is the cause of one of these little ones who believe in me to stumble. Now, I, this gets misinterpreted about the abuse of children. That is not what this is. Now, does the Bible talk about the abuse of children? Yes, that's not what's being said here. A little one here is a euphemism for someone who is, believes in Jesus, a, a, a baby Christian, a baby Christ follower, someone with a tender conscience and a not fully formed theology or understanding. Are you with me? And he's expecting that his guys would be a little better than that right now. A little farther down the road than that right now. He said, guys, you better be careful. Whoever, any one of you that causes one of these young believers, and I think he's referring to the guy they told quit casting out demons. To stumble, here's what you should do. Instead of stopping his ministry, go ahead and have a thousand pound millstone tied around your neck and throw yourself in the ocean. You're better off doing that than getting in the way of ministry done in my name 
because you're offending this little, this young believer and causing him to stumble and turn away from me? What are you thinking? Do you think Jesus is serious here? Yeah, he is. Yes, he is. This is, this is heavy, no pun intended. Millstone, they, they weighed over a thousand pounds. Um, and, and, and this is a horrible picture, isn't it? Horrible picture. Um, nobody wants to die. But there's specific ways I really don't want to die. Are anybody here with me? And I don't know why, but I've always been, I've always had a fear of drowning. I, I, I think that'd be a horrible way to go. And someone said, oh, yeah, well, you know what? Once you get past the panic, it's real peaceful. I don't want to get past the panic. <laughs> I don't want to get to that point. <laughs> okay? No, I'm out. Where do I sign? I don't want to do that. And this whole, this whole idea, it's not funny, but it's funny. Jesus said, you better put on a pair of cement shoes and jump in the, in the ocean than get in the way of that. Then you cause some. The word stumble is the word scandal on, where we get scandal from. To scandalize someone. Man, this, this, is, this is hard stuff. Really hard stuff. Um, here's a reality of it. Here's a reality of it. Um, this, this, this was a form of execution, but the Jews didn't use it. This was used only by the Romans. The, the drowning. Same way. They would tie a giant weight to someone uh, and they put their tie their hands behind their back so they couldn't get out, and they're not going to do any Houdini tricks. And they would throw them in the ocean. Um, but the Romans would only do this uh, to people who, who were, uh, had committed a horrendous crime. So this was, this was reserved. In, in, the, in the eyes of the Romans, this is, this is a more deplorable, humiliating death than even crucifixion. And you save this for the worst of the worst, right? And here's why. And to the Jewish mind, this is anathema. Because the idea is that you are, you are stuck, suspended in the ocean. You basically become fish food. And there's no way for you to get out, right? It's the idea of complete judgment of God. Um, do you think Jesus was serious here? Yeah, yeah he was. He said, John, do you realize what you've done? Your party spirit may have caused that brother to stumble, to be scandalized and to turn away from following me. Better off you jump in the ocean with some cement shoes on than ever do that again. Now Jesus is going to give three, I call it hyperbolic, um, lessons, object lessons about why this is so important. Because there was some corruption in the lives and ideas and thinking of the apostle, of the disciples here. And Jesus was going to deal with that. Look at verse 43. If your hand causes you to sin, what's it say? Cut it off. It's better for you to enter into life maimed than having two hands to go to hell into which the fire into the fire that shall not be quenched, verse 44, where the, their worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. Jot in there, Isaiah 66, 24. That's where that comes from. That's a direct quote of Isaiah 66. Now, I'm just going to, I'm always going to shoot you straight. If you got a good 
translation, and we're using the New King James, but they're all, they're, even how they do it is different. There should be some type of note there on verse uh, 46, 44, and 48. It does appear that this is a later edition. Okay, this was, prop, this was most likely, we're pretty comfortable saying this was not in the original manuscript or even the earlier ones that were written by Mark. That one of the scribes sometime later that was copying this said, oh, you know what, that reminds me of that verse in Isaiah and probably added it in there. Either way, it's still the Word of God, amen? And it's a good commentary, but we just, you need to know that if some of your Bibles say that, that's, that's what that's referring to. So he's going to give us here, um, he's going to talk about the reality of hell. The reality of hell. And he's going to use three body parts and three stern, stern warnings. And I think this is, I'm, I'm convinced this is what we call hyperbole, and I'll get to that here in just a second. The reality of hell. I remember, I don't know, Elizabeth, if you remember this, but, but years ago when we were serving in the church in Rhode Island, uh, we had a missionary, very young missionary guy come in. I think he was going to Ireland, actually. And he preached a sermon. And I, I don't remember the title of the sermon. I remember the topic, and I remember his refrain. And he said over and over again, he said, hell is terrible and hell is real. And that was, the, that was pretty much his whole message with Scripture. Hell is terrible. Do you remember that? Hell is terrible and hell is real. I never have been able to shake that from all these many years later, um, almost 40 years later. And I still remember this young man who was not a great preacher. <laughs> but what an what a, what a impact that left on. I can still hear his voice. Hell is terrible and hell is real. And Jesus is going to talk about it. And Jesus, by the way, Jesus spoke on hell a lot. This was not an uncommon topic for Jesus. Um, and it has some descriptions there. But let's go back to this idea of, these, of this idea of, uh, of hell. Now, the word for hell there in the Greek is Gehenna. And that comes from another word, Gehenna. Uh, in, in the Hebrew, and there was literally a valley just outside of Jerusalem. There's a steep, steep area, and, and they, they, it, it literally had turned into the garbage dump of Jerusalem. Everyone threw their garbage in there, and because they did, the way they dealt with garbage was not composting or recycling. They burned it. And so there were these fires that were constantly smoldering. Um, I remember as a kid, there was a dump um, outside of our town. Remember that, Mom, Kemet's dump? And we called it Mount St. Kemet because um, it caught on fire, and, and they could never put the fire out because there was so much fuel. They tried for like five years to extinguish this fire at the dump, and they couldn't. So they ended up just covering it all up with dirt and closing the landfill. Because apparently there was some bad stuff in there that you shouldn't be breathing after it burned. Uh, so they ended up having to bring in literally a mountain of dirt and cover the whole thing. And, and it's contaminated land to this day. But in Jerusalem, they had this valley of Gehenna, this Hinnom Valley. And it's where it, it was where the, all the refuse and the dump and the garbage was. And the fire was constantly smoldering there. Here's the history of it. It's not nice history. The history of it, that was the valley 
in which the children of Israel, when they prostituted themselves against the Lord their God and served the gods of the, of the people in whose land they dwelt, would take their infants and sacrifice them to the demon god of Molech in that valley. And in that valley was constructed a giant furnace that had the form of a, of a grotesque face and a gaping mouth. And in that gaping mouth was, was a, a, a white-hot furnace. And extending out from that mouth that looked like a tongue was a giant metal ramp, if you will, uh, that would heat up to red-hot. And they would take those poor babies and roll them down that red-hot tongue into the fires of this furnace. And they would play the drum beat so loud to, over, to, to try to mask the sound of the screaming infants. You wonder why God judged his people? That's, that's where the concept of hell came from. In the, and believe me, when Jesus used that word Gehenna, they all went back to Molech and the smoldering dump fire that was there at that very day. They had that picture in mind. And don't forget it. Here's the three stern warnings. The first one is that deals with your hand. Now the question always comes up, is, is this literal? Does Jesus really want you to go chop your hand off? Here, here's something that helps you. In verses 43 to 48, Jesus gives a series of third, you might even write this down, even though it's Hebrew, uh, Greek grammar, you should know this. It's called third class conditional if clauses. So there are first, second, and third class if clauses. Um, this if clause, the third class conditional if, one of the purposes of it is to present a hypothetical situation that is not a probable reality. So Jesus uses a very specific word that all of his hearers would understand to basically say, hey, I'm being hyperbolic here, but what I'm saying is accurate. The reality of hell is such that you're better to go through life with one hand than, have, than, than to be cast into hell whole. Y'all, it's this serious. How you like your hand? Right? That's serious. John, this is nothing, this is not okay in any way, shape, or form. So what is this idea about the hand? Well, the hand refers to what we do. Right? The hand refers to what we do. And, and Jesus says there, if your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. It's better for you to enter into life maimed rather than having two hands to go to hell into the fire that shall never be quenched. Your hand, now does your hand make you do sinful things? No. What, what makes you do sinful things? Your heart, right? What's in the heart of man comes out. Right? And Jesus knew that, but what he's saying is this serious, fellas. If you're doing something, if, you're, if your hands are involved in a sin, you're just not getting better to chop it off and go through life handicapped than to go to hell whole. Don't forget who he's talking to. He's talking to the twelve. This would make more sense if it was to the multitudes. Right? talking to his own guys, the inner, inner, inner circle. He said, you got you. 
are so corrupt. And if your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. Here's the question, here's the application question here. What am I doing, doing that is preventing me or others from having an unhindered relationship with King Jesus? What am I doing right now, listen, that's causing maybe young Christians or people that are, might even think about the faith, they look at me and what am I doing to cause people to stumble by my actions? What am I doing that people look at that and say, well, he's supposed to be a Christian and look what he's doing. She's supposed to be a Christian and look what she's doing. And it causes them to turn away. This is what Jesus is talking about here. What actions are we visibly doing that people can observe that could cause them to stumble? And of course, this has tremendous application for parents to children, sibling, older siblings to younger siblings. You see where this could go? We need to pray this through. The second one is the foot. Look at verse 45. And if your foot causes you to sin, cut it off. Better for you to enter into life, that means eternal life, lame, rather than having two feet to be cast into hell where the fire shall never be quenched. Now the foot refers to where you go. Where you go. And again, this is observable. These are all physical things, aren't they? Right? If you're in a place that you should not be in, and, and, and someone you know sees you there, and they think, huh, I thought they were a Christian. You cause them to stumble. If a weaker brother or sister sees you, where are you going that is causing people to stumble? Who or what am I chasing or following? That's the question here. That's what we do with our feet is we follow. What am I following? What am I chasing after? And what are people seeing in my life? If you really want to know what you're all about, you want to take the test, ask your younger children if you got them. Ask your grandkids. Because you know what? Kids will be honest with you, just like Sophia was with me this morning. I want to go on her jumpy th blow-up thing in the gym over there, and she says, no, you'll pop it. Right? Because why? Kids are honest. They're going to tell you the truth. What am I about? Your kids will tell you. Your grandkids will tell you. Little ones will tell you. They'll shoot you straight. What path am I on? Am I on the wide way that leads to destruction or the narrow way? And the, and, the, and the application is cut out anything that would prevent us or others from walking with Jesus. What is in the way of you walking with Jesus closely? What is hindering you? Where are you headed or going or walking that is getting in the way of you walking in the dust of your rabbi? And whatever it is, stop. Here's the answer to corruption. You ready? Write it down. Here's what fills the pothole of corruption. Repentance. Repent. Turn away from that sin. Ha ask God for a change of mind. Boy, you think Jesus has given them a mind shift here? I, th I think he is. What about this last one? The third one. The third warning is the eye. The eye refers to what we see or watch. That which we focus on. That which we value and highly esteem very little if any sin comes out of your heart that did not first enter through your eye remember the song we used to sing with the little kids so many years you remember it ma'am be careful little feet where you go be careful little hands what you be careful little eyes what you see for the father up above is looking down in love
Ooh. That's a gentle version of Mark 9, isn't it? Uh, there are not many sins that are tripping you up that didn't come into your heart through your eyeball. Here's the question. What am I looking at that is moving me and others away from King Jesus? Cut it out. I don't think Jesus meant the actual eye. I think he meant what the eye is watching. You mutilate that. And you keep, which is what Je, this is what Paul says, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. You look at him, nothing else. Amen. Cut it out. Gouge it out of your life. Whatever it is you're looking at that's taking your focus away from King Jesus. It's pretty clear. The Puritan John Owen put it this way. Quite true. He says, be killing sin or sin will be killing you. I need to wrap this whole section up with that, couldn't you? Be killing sin or sin will be killing you. Again, please don't forget, I have heard this and I've done it myself in the past. I have preached this to evangelistically. And, and, it, and it, maybe, it, maybe it is in one sense. But this is discipleship. He's talking to his 12. The 12. Saying, guys, you're looking at stuff that's leading you the wrong way and causing other people to stumble. You're, going, you're walking in such a way, your lifestyle causing people to stumble. The stuff you're doing, you're arguing amongst yourself, your pride's causing people to stumble. And that causing people to stumble is way worse than you think it is. And then he concludes, and I'm just going to touch this extremely briefly because it's confusing, to be honest with you. These last two verses are odd to us, to our ears, not so much to them. He says, For everyone will be seasoned with fire, and every sacrifice will be seasoned with salt. Salt is good. I agree with that. <laughs> but if the salt loses its flavor, how are you going to season it? Have salt in yourselves. Look at this. And have peace with one another. Notice there he says everyone will be seasoned with fire. What's that word seasoned mean? Okay, can it be flavored? Right? What's that? Yeah. That's right. I, 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 here in Wildwood, I picked up a, it had a curb alert, and someone was throwing out a, uh, where's Ben? What do you call that grill that we got? Blackstone. Remember? Someone was throwing out a Blackstone. They used it a couple of times, and, it, and, the, and the cast iron thing got rusty. So Ben and I jumped in the truck and ran down and picked it up. And here's the problem. They never seasoned the cast iron top. And as a result of that, everything would stick to it, and then it rusted. But if you season it, what you do to season it is you, and I, I, we, we read the instructions, you turn that burner up as hot as it goes. What's Jesus been, just been talking about? Hell fire. Pretty hot. Jesus is saying, look, everyone's going to be seasoned with fire. Everyone's going to come up underneath the heat. 
And here's the difference. Here's the difference. Paul talks about this in Corinthians. There's wood, hay, and stubble. There's stuff that we've done that looked good, but we did it for ourselves. They're going to burn up. But, oh, there's some stuff that we've done in the name of Jesus, and we didn't get the credit for it. We gave the credit to God, and that is gold, silver, and precious stones. Amen? Those that are in Christ will stand before the Lord in judgment one day. And what will get burned up are our deeds that we did for ourselves. What will last are the deeds we did for Christ. But we will last because of Jesus. Those outside of Christ, when they stand, when they stand before the great white throne judgment and the wrath of a holy God, they will forever experience the wrath of God actively in a place called hell. You see the difference? One is preserved. You see, when you heat that black stone up and you put that oil on there, you know what that does? Preserves it. It's as nonstick as your Teflon frying pan because it's been through the fire and it's been seasoned. These guys... We're not yet seasoned. But Jesus was working on them. Everyone's going to be seasoned with fire. And every sacrifice will be seasoned with salt. So we got seasoned with fire and seasoned with salt. What does salt do? It does flavor, but it preserves. You know what I think he's saying here? Preserve what? Your whole life, all of your actions are going to be preserved. The good and the bad. Nothing is going to be out from the, the eye of God on that day of judgment. It's all preserved. And he says this, salt is good. Preservation is good. But if the salt loses its flavor, how will you season it? Salt that's not salty is no good. Then he says, have salt in yourselves. Have that preserving spirit within you. And when you do, you will have what? Peace with one another. Did they have peace with one another as they walked at 25 miles from the bottom of, the, of Mount Hermon to, uh, to Peter's house in Capernaum? They were fighting. And so Jesus wraps his whole teaching back up to the argument they had for 25 miles about who's the best. He said, what you need is some seasoning. You need some salt. You need some preservation. And you need to get serious about your sin and repent. So we have division is a pothole. And it is filled by serving. We have exclusion as a pothole. Right? I forgot what I said that's filled with. I wrote it. Y'all should have wrote that down. <laughs> uh, and then we have corruption. It's, it's, it is... Uh, filled, the pothole of corruption is filled with repentance. We repent. So what, what work do we have to do today based on this? Yeah, we got a critical work to do, don't we? We got a critical work to do. And these guys didn't, they didn't quite get it. You say, Pastor, how do you know? Well, I looked ahead in chapter 10. They did not get it. Remember this whole lesson that Jesus is saying? He's holding probably Peter's youngest child in his arms. And in chapter 10, just a few days later, 
the ladies bring the babies for the rabbi Jesus to bless. And the disciple says, get out of here. He's talking about important stuff. More important stuff than your dumb kids. Get out of here. And what does Jesus say? He rebukes them. He rebukes them. You better let those kids come to me. You got a lot to learn from them. Amen? They still didn't get it. But don't miss it. Jesus wasn't discouraged, was he? He taught them anyway because he knew one day he was going to send that Holy Spirit and they were going to get it. So be not dismayed, saints, today. This teaching, this teaching is for you. And one day, if not today, one day, you're going to get it. It's going to make sense. And that Holy Spirit's going to come and wake you up and remind you of what's important. Isn't that encouraging today? That encourages me. The Jews had a statement, the world cannot survive without salt. It's needed. It's a preservative in this primary way that salt lost its saltiness. And this Jewish culture was by its exposure to air. And the primary way we lose our saltiness today is exposure to this world. Isn't it? If our faith makes no difference to what we do, where we go, or how we spend our time and money, how we do our job, or how we talk, then what good is that faith? How alive is that faith? We need to stop and look at ourselves and make certain that our lives are salty. We do not want to lose our saltiness for Jesus Christ. We are working on being salty ourselves. We won't be arguing about who's the greatest, and we'll have peace with each other. That was Jesus' point. So don't ever look at these verses the same. Jesus talked about hell to his inner circle. And if Jesus warned his men about hell, who do we think we are? We need that warning today. Amen? Just stand. I'm going to pray. And then we're going we're gonna to sing before we leave today. But let's pray and ask the Lord to help us apply this hard truth to our hearts. Father, we come today... Thanking you for your word and the hard parts in it. And this lesson really does go down sideways. It's prickly. Amazing to me as we read your word in context to realize who you were talking to. These were your guys. The ones who would eventually turn the world upside down. And you're warning them they could end up in hell. And one of them did. And if they needed that warning, I, I think we need it today. Lord, keep our eyes focused on you. Keep our feet following you. And keep our hands in your hand and doing your will. And do it for your glory that we might stay salty. That we might be that preservative in the sinful world. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen.